I always tell people to start with a house hack. And with a house hack, you can do anything. You can do short-term rental, you can do long-term rental, you can do mid-term rental, you can do section eight, whatever. But house hack because you get that low down payment and you're getting the lowest interest rate. So that's the best way. Plus you're right there. So if you need to manage any upkeep or improvements, it's just no easier than that. So that's the way I would get started. Everybody wanna get the bag, but y'all really know what it's gonna take. Trying to figure out how to start now. Blue chills, gotta show you the way. Cause we top finance and amortizing and anything it takes to get real estate. We've been grinding all day, finding ways to get paid. Better hop on this wave, cause we're dropping blue gems. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems. Let's go. Another episode of Blue Gems Podcast with Ziana McIntyre, the specialist in the MTR space. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you chose midterm rentals. Hey, thanks for having me here. Gosh, I've been in this game a long time. It was awesome to hear all of the short-term rentals you guys have had and are managing and own yourselves. Like, great, great job. I came from the short-term rental world. I started in 2012. And I started with a little bit of arbitrage, broke that into finally owning some properties, then co-hosting. And I co-hosted about 60 units in five countries. So really got good at out-of-state, out-of-country management. I now have reeled that back in. I own 12 units in five states. So still doing a lot of stuff kind of out of state. And I pivoted over to MTRs. And I'm just like really excited about it because I feel like there is so much upside that people are not talking about, specifically in the insurance space where you're working with tenants that are displaced. So that's kind of the area that I'm really concentrating on right now. Love that. And like, when you're going to find a market or a property to purchase, what are some of the things that you're looking for that qualifies an MTR? Yeah, so it really depends on who you're trying to serve. So the MTR tenants can be a lot of different people. It can be traveling nurses, which is what people mostly hear about, digital nomads, but it can also be government contracts, construction companies, universities, and insurance. So that's just some of them. And there can be a lot of other people that are even just living in Airbnbs full-time now. So picking the right property depends on who you want to serve. If you're going to be working towards travel nurses and maybe a digital nomad or maybe a business traveler that's coming into work from a local office, they want to be in a one or two bedroom. So that works really well for condos. It works well for small homes, multifamily, that kind of thing. And in that case, if you're serving that population, you want to be urban, you want to be close to maybe the Google campus or the hospitals, or you know, you want to position yourself in a way that that makes sense. But if you're doing insurance, now these need to be single family homes. They need to be three bedrooms or more. And they are generally good in suburban areas with good schools. So it's a it's a different kind of way of looking for a property depending on who you're serving. And then how do you define an MTR? Yeah, that's a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? What is a short-term rental? What is, what is a mid-term rental? Usually, the line is thirty days, which is why the book that we wrote is called Thirty Day Stay. Because what I love about that space is that it's become this gray area. So short-term rentals are getting a lot of flack, and there's a lot of regulation that's coming in and really shutting people down. And I heard the other day that only three percent of the U.S. is regulated, and they're coming for you. 
<laughs> like that is not the end. They are actively changing so many small municipalities and counties and little areas, hamlets are are going to be regulating that. And so what's great about it is having the MTR, all of a sudden, 30 days, they don't care. You're lumped in with long-term rentals for most cases. And it's just this gray area where you fly under the radar. And that means less taxes, less licenses. So a lot of times you have to have a special license and may have to go through special inspections to qualify for that. So there's just a lot less red tape with the MTR. So we have Airbnb, VRBO. How do you market a midterm rental? Yeah. So again, that's like, who are you serving? If you're doing those smaller units where it's one to two bedrooms, you can do really well with just Airbnb and a website called Furnished Finder. And Furnished Finder came from a place of just serving traveling nurses. But now you're seeing a lot more uh, relocations, students, different kind of tenants coming onto that platform as it's getting more well-known. But yeah, you can still be on Verbo and Booking.com if you really want to. But those main two will keep your unit pretty full. And then if you're going for insurance or corporate housing or relocations, there are like 15 freaking websites. <laughs> so if you guys want to know, like you got to email me because I'll send it to you. I'm here for sharing. But I don't have the time to list everything out right now. Makes sense. And let's talk about returns. So like, I think everyone's really familiar what you can expect from a LTR standpoint, and even from an STR standpoint, where do you fall in lines of the return on your investment in, for MTRs? Everybody has a different line for what they want. For me personally, when I'm doing a long-term rental, I want at least 10%. And my reasoning behind that is because they say that over a long span of history, the average returns in the market, if you just you know got an index fund and set it and forget it, is about 8% after inflation. So for me, I say, well, if I'm going to do 8% without having to think about it, 10% if I have to work a little bit makes sense for me to have a long-term rental, right? If I'm going into midterm rentals, I think 15% is okay. And again, that's kind of the baseline. You can do so much better, but I I want to see at least that in my very conservative estimates that I'm getting from like Furnish Finder comps. And then with short-term rentals, I like 25%. And a lot of people will say that's harder and harder to get these days. And you know that might be true, but it's good to have lines so that you're not buying bad deals and putting yourself in a weird spot. And then how do you manage occupancy? One thing that worries me about midterm rentals is trying to fill in the gaps between these longer bookings. So if you have a 30-day booking, and then you have a week in between, and then another 30-day booking, how are you managing your calendar in that regard? So my favorite, like if I'm looking for a new market, I'm looking for hybrid possibilities. So I want to be able to do short-term as well as midterm legally. And a lot of times this looks like being right on the outskirts of a city that's outlawed it, right? So the last place I bought was Atlanta. The whole city of Atlanta doesn't let you do short-term rentals, but as soon as you're right outside the perimeter, you're good to go. And so I like that because it's going to be restricting a lot of who was there before and changing the landscape of how much was available. So that gives you a lot of opportunity. And I I think you brought up a great point, right? Because I think some people buy in markets where only midterm rental is legal, right? And so it becomes more challenging to manage, you know, the, the occupancy in between. Yeah. And I own three properties like that and they do great. But it's just that makes it so much more particular that you really have to be on your calendar management. So if you're doing something that's a hybrid, the way I do it is I love to prioritize midterm because I just think there's so much more upside with that. And so I'm only allowing short-term two weeks out and filling gaps. 
that's it. Everything else. So you can set this in like Price Labs or whatever pricing software you use. You can put a minimum for your nightly stay. So maybe that's 30 days, maybe it's two weeks, whatever you like. And then you can have the gap fill that will do two nights stay. And you can also say, you know, up to two weeks. So if you have something last minute that you need to fill, it'll also let you do two nights stay. So all of that can be automated. So you're not in there every day, like messing with your calendar, which could be really annoying. And then if you're doing something that's only month to month, then you have to be really careful. You can't just have your calendar open for six months and then let anybody book willy-nilly. So you basically, what we were doing is we were opening five weeks at a time and we were making it so that people had to make a request. And the reason is a lot of times these people are driving in from wherever and they are cool to come a couple of days early. Maybe they'll even pay from the first or they'll you know stay in a hotel for a couple of days and then come into your unit. So if you have that conversation first, you can massage those days and have less vacancy. Great point. So you're not doing any instant booking on a property that only allows midterm? I'm not right now. And I just really don't want to sit there and have three weeks open that I can't fill, right? That makes it really challenging. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And how are you choosing your rental rates, right? Because, you know, that can be super challenging in, in itself. Yeah. So if I am doing for Airbnb and Furnish Finder, I'm going based off of Price Labs. So my pricing is... First, I'm doing comps on Furnish Finder, which is lower. You should know that Furnish Finder is a place where nurses are going just to get a discount. And so they're kind of negotiating a cheaper price there. So I look at that as like my low-end conservative number. And then I go into AirDNA and I'm getting more of what the short-term rental number could be. And I'm really trying to push towards that short-term rental number. I think you can get the same amount. And so between that, I'm just kind of editing it in price labs because it's seasonal just like a short-term rental is. How mature do you think this asset class is, right? If we were to use a baseball analogy, are we in the first inning, the second inning, the third inning? How far, how far along are we? Have you been listening to Jesse Vasquez and his baseball analogies? I am I'm not into baseball. <laughs> he would say, I'm a good student. He would say that they are just chalking the field. They're just walking out wow. and, and getting started. So this is really early days. He likes to say that it's kind of like if you're finding Airbnb in 2017. There's just a lot of upside. I mean, I've been in Airbnb since 2012. So I got to see a lot of growth happen over time. And I can tell you that being on the early side has its benefits. So I think MTRs have a lot of room to grow. And that comes with pain points. But I think there's a lot of great stuff coming around the corner. Let's talk about some mistakes that you often see MTR investors making. Because I'm sure it's pretty common. It's a new field. There's probably a lot of mistakes that are happening. Could we find some that we can get ahead of before buying? Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's a lot of the same stuff you see in the short-term rental space. No longer can you have just like a, a basement that you took photos on your phone, that it just had leftover furniture. You know, like you have to be really intentional on how you're setting up these spaces. The competition is coming. And a lot of people that were doing short-term rentals are moving into midterm. And so you have to have beautiful spaces. You may not need a mural and hot tub and all the amenities, but you definitely want to have beautifully designed spaces, run it like a business so it's very clean and have really good communications, kind of like all the same simple stuff. But what's great is that the people that have been in this space for a long time, that were doing executive rentals and were on Furnish Finder, a lot of them were just mom and pops. And so it is easy to stand up at the top of the pack. 
And then how are mm. other vendors in the industry treating midterm rentals? So how do lenders view it? How do insurance providers view it? Because anytime we have a newer asset class, we found challenges in getting financing or getting insurance policies because it's just so new. Yeah. So the cool thing is that you can just have a regular landlord policy like you would a long-term rental. And the only things that you want to change in that is maybe you have just an extra amount for your personal property because that's going to be covering the furnishings if something does happen. And then if you do a hybrid model, I would go towards short-term rental insurance and not mid-term rental insurance. So that part's pretty easy. But the lending piece is true. You know, it's like, I think the challenge, especially in the short-term rental space, is that you want them to look at the income that you can potentially make if you're looking at like a DSCR loan. And a lot of lenders won't look at short-term rental income. They'll only look at long-term rental income. Sometimes people will, but that's a little tricky. So sometimes with MTRs, people are saying the same thing. It's like, well, I can get one and a half times or two times market rate. And I want to show that. How do we do it? And the way that I usually recommend people do it is get a lease. Get a lease signed. It's You can do it while you're still under contract on a home. You do have professional photos. Put it out on the websites and get people in. Even if you don't have all the furniture and everything, you can start that way. And so if you've got a signed lease, that's that works the same as a long-term rental lease. And they'll use the income that way. And then you mentioned running comps. Is there any tools that you're using similar to an AirDNA where you can actually pull down you know, potential rental income for a midterm rental? I think MashVisor is the only one right now that's starting to offer some quotes there. Basically, the way we've been doing it is just looking in Furnish Finder as a guest. So you would type in your city and then not worry about dates. And from the map, you can see all the places that are listed around you. And then in there, you can click around and see how updated they are, what are their furnishings like, you know, what do their photos look like. And it shows if they're available or not. It's not a perfect science because people are not booking through that platform, but it gives you a little bit of an idea. And so from there, I take that as my low end. Then I go into AirDNA and I kind of mash those together and know that I'm going to be shooting a little bit closer towards this AirDNA number. And then you mentioned they're not booking on platform. So do they have to sign a lease and maybe have a security deposit as well off the platform if they were to go through Furnish Finder? Yeah. So Airbnb and the like, the OTAs, they're booking platforms. They're essentially just a marketing place where you can book. Right In Furnish Finder, it's a lead generation source. So what it's doing is it's pulling anybody who's done a search within 20 miles of your property. And then it's showing up as leads on your side. And after that, you're responsible to reach out to them. They may send a request, but often they don't. And they're getting inundated by a lot of other hosts. Right, So you want to either call them or email them. That's kind of how that's working. And then from there, yes, anything over 30 days, you definitely want to have a lease. I don't do it if it's on air. Airbnb. I just kind of... Some people do. I don't do it because I feel like Airbnb has their coverage already. And I'm not so worried about squatters in this space. But if you are, definitely do a lease. The lease I get from Avail and Avail is they have a free software and then they have a paid version, which I think is like $5 a month. But from there, they let you upload a lease that's for your state. And then you can auto like enter in a bunch of stuff, then have it signed electronically from their platform, which just makes it a lot easier than uploading it somewhere, sending it off to someone like, you know, you're trying to make it less barriers to entry. And so you want it to just be simple. And so from there, you do the lease. And then on Avail, you can also have them collect your deposit and your rent automatically. And so you've got just kind of everything in a one-stop shop. 
Does Avail also do any like screening process or background checks? I generally do it in Zillow, but there are a lot of places that you can do it. The reason I do it in Zillow is because people can pay for it once and then in Zillow, they can actually reuse it. And if they're doing it just with us from maybe a veil or furnish finder or something called key check, then they pay for it every single time that they apply for a property. And that could be really expensive for them. It's like $40 each time. Yeah, that is pricey for sure. What other tools are you using to manage your midterm rentals? You mentioned Price Labs, you mentioned Avail. Are you using an additional PMS beyond that as well? I keep it really trim. I think a lot of times people get, I don't know, lured into all the different (laughs) softwares they can use and that they're offered out there. I think there's probably hundreds now. The only other one that I use is Hospitable and that's for auto messaging. And it does a little bit of calendar management, but I find that to be just really simplifying for just the, the amount of guest communication. It's like I have, I think it's seven messages that are automated that go out to all my guests on different days. And I just don't want to have to think about all of that. And that allows us to have really high marks on our reviews for communication. Love it. Are you self-managing these units that you own? Or do you have an assistant or a team to kind of help you out? I have an assistant as well, but I had self-managed for a long time and it's definitely doable even with a sizable portfolio. So I think we have nine furnished units right now of our 12. And yeah, it's only a couple, you know, maybe it's like an hour a day. So do you have a team as well that's helping assist in managing these properties or is it just you solo? I just have the assistant. So I have an assistant who is kind of my everything. She does 30 hours a week and she does all my admin and everything, but property management is part of it. And so, yeah, I, it would be hard, I think, to have enough hours for somebody if they were just doing my property management. But I think a lot of people are using BAs from the Philippines that work out really well and you can get them for 3 to $5 an hour. Yeah, we know that game. We have uh, we have eight VAs for our portfolio on the short-term rental side. And nice. the reason being is because, as you know, there's so much more communication when you have these nightly rentals and, and these weekend stays mm-hmm. as opposed to a midterm rental. So I wanted to a- actually ask that question next. Like, what are the key differences from a management standpoint, you know, between MTRs and STRs? Are you seeing less guest communication? I know the turnovers makes it a bit easier, but is there any other benefits that you're seeing on top of that? Yeah. I mean, the guest communication is my favorite part because basically people are learning your house in the first three days, right? And if they're only staying for three nights, then you're getting those same questions on repeat every single time. For us, you know, you have that little window. Do you hear from them in those first three days? If you don't hear from them, you're not going to hear from them. And a lot of times our average day is three months. And so 90 days of just peace and quiet. And so that that is really great. We do appreciate that. I don't know that there's that many differences. Yeah, I'm not sure there's other things that I'd really point out. We are thrilled to announce Blue Gems Management. After building out 24 short-term rental properties of our own, we're now helping other investors buy their time back. With over 300 five-star reviews, we really understand the importance of guest experience. If you're interested in making short-term rentals passive, click the link in the show notes below and someone from our team will contact you soon. Now back to the show. The the guest communication (laughs) sounds attractive in and of itself. I mean, only talking to the guest one time in 90 days, you know, generally we're talking to them 
every weekend. It's the same question about the Wi-Fi, the same question about how to work the fridge and the thermostat. So very attractive yeah. from that standpoint. Well, there are more self-sufficient too. It's like, this is the type of guests that will change a light bulb. They'll go get new batteries for the you know, remote control. Like a short-term rental guest is, is got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, some privilege, and they don't want to do anything. And they don't really have the time to either, right? So I, I do like that when they're going to be willing to troubleshoot the Wi-Fi and, and just help out a little bit more. Sounds like you have a, a bunch of peace and quiet that that we're both uh, envious of because the STR space we're we're usually running around with our heads cut off because there's so many you know situations always. What are you doing with all of that free time? Are you working on anything outside of MTR that's exciting to you? Yeah, that's interesting. No, I, I think right now I'm really excited about this insurance space, which is taking a little bit of time to learn and perfect. So that's something I'm I'm concentrating on and spending time on. I am wanting to move my portfolio to one area. So like I said at the beginning, I've got five states and I just feel a little bit spread then. And in the short terminal space, that worked. That was fine. But in midterm, what I'm finding is you want five or more properties in one area because you really want to go deep in that area and be able to say, hey, you have a need, I can fill it. And that can look like your own properties. It can look like a network. It can be friends of yours that have properties. But you want to be able to say yes. Yeah, I'm in the process of selling off some properties, buying more properties and setting them up in one area. What markets are you in currently? The the five states or the five markets? Yeah. So in Colorado, where I live, I'm in Boulder, Denver, and Colorado Springs. So alone, that's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in Florida, I'm in Central Florida and Ocala, which is actually just long-term rentals right now. I have a property outside of Seattle on the Sound. So it's like an hour and a half from Seattle. That's a short-term rental primarily. Then I'm in Atlanta and then St. Louis. Yeah, we're managing a property in Boulder, Colorado as well. It's uh, relatively new for us. Uh, It's an MTR. Just, uh, I think, two months in. We just have one guest so far, pretty long uh, booking and trying to navigate the new, I guess, uh, new territory. If you have any tips for us. Having to rebuild the whole machine. And it's not a big thing, but getting a really good cleaner and having your go-to handy guys, like that just feels really annoying to start over. And it's nice when you just have that established. So that's that was kind of what I didn't love about breaking into new markets again and again. Gotcha. Could you give us some tips on Boulder, Colorado in terms of like what the perfect clientele looks like or what the demographic looks like in terms of uh, the ones that are usually visiting? Yeah, so that's an interesting thing is I have two units that are really close to the Foothills Hospital that we have there, but I rarely have nurses. What I end up seeing more are the digital nomads. So people that can kind of work anywhere and they want to be skiing or hiking or mountain biking or whatever. And then people that are coming in for certain uh, local companies. So they might be working at Google because we have a Google headquarters there. We also have a lot of like ball aerospace and different atmospheric research centers. And we'll get a lot of scientists for those. So that's actually what I end up seeing more. Staying on the Boulder topic, our property in Boulder is a bit more expensive, right? So is there a certain Mm -hmm. budget that makes more sense for a midterm rental? Or are you seeing a pretty strong range? Because I just wonder that, you know, if midterm rentals make more sense for that two to three thousand dollar range. And once you go past that, are you eliminating a lot of your potential clientele? 
In Boulder, I don't think so. So even a one bedroom, I would say you don't want to really go below like 2,500. Like I have little one bedrooms and we're between 2,500 and 4,000. So I do think two bedrooms, you can be at 3,500, three bedrooms, 4,500 or more. And so if you're looking at a big house, like I'm not sure what you guys have, but then that gets to be where you want to be looking more in the insurance territory. What do you have? Yeah, three bedroom, 1,600 square feet. And right now we're in that 6K range. But then we're trying to figure out like, okay, where do we start marketing outside of the OTAs? Because Furnished Finder for six grand is just not going to make sense, right? I imagine for any nurse traveling. You can find it, but it's not, that's not going to be your primary place. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm happy to share with you. I've got a whole list. So let's dive into the insurance providers or that system. So if we wanted to find, you know, more information about that, or if you could give us some tips regarding that, that'd be super helpful. With insurance, you just have a little bit more of a high touch. And you guys do short-term rentals, so maybe you're okay with this. But I think what happens in the short-term rental space, because now it's been around for a long time, is it almost feels automated. Where it's like, your cleaners are automatically scheduling, the guest just books, you don't have to think about it, then the auto messages go out, and it's like, you don't do anything. Right, You just make sure that nothing blows up. But in the midterm space, if you're going to start getting in with the insurance companies, they're going to reach out to you. You have to talk to them on the phone. You're going to have to negotiate. You're going to have to answer questions. You might even have to facilitate someone going to see the property. But then maybe you're getting from your $6,000 price point to nine or $10,000 a month. right? And so is it worth it doing that extra high touch? I think it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you guys don't know this, there was a fire, gosh, I want to say a year and a half or two years ago that took out a thousand homes in Boulder or not Boulder directly, but Louisville and Superior, which is like right outside of Boulder. And there are people still on insurance from that because they weren't able to rebuild their homes right away. So some people were able to go out and rebuy or rent something longer term, but there's a lot of that still going around where people are having to hop from place to place. So there is a lot of potential for insurance claims around Boulder. And then I imagine it it comes down to relationships, right? So getting in with these insurance providers, building that rapport and making sure that they call you when they have availability for someone that just lost their home, right? Yes. And so that's why it's good to have five or more homes. It's not like you can't do it with one, but I have heard that certain companies don't even want to waste their time on you when they're like, well, you're going to have one property and then it's full every time. I'm not going to call you again. Right? right? <laughs> because they have places where they can look online. But what I've generally heard is they get their couple of people in their different markets. Like maybe they're a regional, they're covering a regional area and they're saying like, cool, this is my person for Denver and this is my person for here. And so you want to be able to just say yes. Yeah. What market are you most excited about? It sounds like you're trying to gravitate and have them all under one umbrella. Do you mind sharing that? Yeah. So right now I'm really looking into Atlanta. I like the idea of the fact that I can still short and midterm because that's kind of a hard thing about Boulder is you can only midterm. Right. right? And there are some areas outside of Denver that you can do both. 
but it's starting to get like more and more regulated around there. And the price point is pretty high. So it's one thing that you guys are co-hosting for somebody or if you're doing like maybe arbitrage, but it's, it's just a harder market to break into if you're buying, which is usually what I do. And so Atlanta, what I like is they've got a good travel nurse market. They've got the film industry, which is the second largest outside of Hollywood. And a lot of times people are coming in to do film jobs for three months at a time. So that's like a great market to serve. And then it's a huge metro population and people are trending towards moving there. There's a lot of development. The most Fortune 500 companies have headquarters there. There's a lot of good things happening in general in the Southeast, but Atlanta is is one of those markets. So I am trying that out. But what I'll say on the onset is that what I love about Colorado is the quality of guests that I get. And in Atlanta, I've been having a little bit more of a struggle with just a lot of like marijuana and people breaking rules and all kinds of just it's it ends up being more of a party clientele is what I've seen so far. But once I get into more of that insurance traction, I won't see that as much. But Boulder, I don't see that. Even though Colorado <laughs> is is marijuana tourism <laughs> capital right. USA. Uh, I wanted to pivot just a little bit because you said you invested uh, or, or managed outside of the country. How has that experience been? Because honestly, I don't know a lot of people that have explored outside of the country. So I'd be curious to hear your story. Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit of a pipe dream. A lot of people are like, oh, I just want to have this cute house in Mexico or in Portugal or whatever. What I have learned from managing those places is that they just don't rent as well. And the problem, at least for Europe, so I had a place in Spain that was a beautiful villa, like right by the beach. And that place was empty all the time. And it's because in Europe, people are not allowed to take their kids out of school. In the US, you can do it whenever you want. In Europe, it's actually illegal. So they can only travel on school holidays, which is like the two months of summer, and then maybe like Easter and you know some other break around there. But those are the only times you're really booked. So that kind of... That's a little bit rough, right? And so maybe if your clientele is different and you're not really hitting families, but that for me was kind of a no-go. And I saw similar seasonality problems in Mexico when I was managing there. And again, it could be you know city to city. But I found that the US is just a little bit easier. And for me, you're not going to find the loan options that we have in the US anywhere else. Nobody has what we have with our low down payments and our 30-year, now even 40-year loans. You're seeing some longer loan terms. That makes it so much more affordable where we can get our cash flow. So I just tell people, invest in the US and then take your money wherever you want to go travel and live. Yeah. Aiden is always talking about trying to buy something in Tulum. So I'm glad you put his dream down to shame. Yeah. It doesn't, well, it doesn't make financial Tulum is such sense. a party yeah. town too. It's like, what a nightmare. Yeah. The demographic of people that are traveling there is going to be terrible. So appreciate that for sure. Assume that I'm a brand new aspiring real estate investor. I just heard about midterm rentals. What would be your number one piece of advice for me? I always tell people to start with a house hack. And with a house hack, you can do anything. You can do short-term rental, you can do long-term rental, you can do midterm rental, you can do section eight, whatever. But house hack because you get that low down payment and you're getting the lowest interest rate. So that's the best way. Plus you're right there. So if you need to manage any upkeep or improvements, it's just no easier than that. So that's the way I would get started. Great advice. And then where do you see the midterm rental market headed into 2024? If you had a crystal ball. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think that... 
I think that there's going to be a lot more demand. People are really moving into that space for the ease. There's just a lot of people that got into short-term rentals in the height of 2021 when they were doing the best they've ever done. And then they realized like, oh shit, I have no idea what I got myself into. I have a full-time job. Like, I don't want to manage this. And so I think midterm is a happy medium or a sweet spot for a lot of people. So you're going to see that. But the people that are going to do the best are going to be the ones that are taking that extra effort and working either directly with medical placement agencies, the nurses and doctors, or doing the insurance. And if you could leave one last blue gem for the listeners, it could be about real estate, it could be about investments, it could be about MTR, or just life in general. What would you want to leave the listeners? I would say don't forget about your quality of your life because life is happening every day. And I think especially in real estate, people get to a million dollars and then they want 10. you know. And it's the same with number of properties and all that kind of stuff. And I was just talking to a friend before this and he's like, we're profiting $30,000 a month. And he's like, but I think I could get to 100. And I'm like, bro, you don't even spend 30. Why? <laughs> Remember that you have kids and a life and like go travel. We never know how much time we have. So that's why I try to remind people. That's beautiful. That's probably one of my favorite answers. Not gonna lie. Like the lifestyle that we're all striving to eventually have, we could already have right now. Uh, and then where can people find you? ZianaMcIntyre.com is the easiest way, but I'm also on Instagram and you know YouTube and a lot of different places. But Instagram, I check all my DMs. So at Ziana McIntyre. What an episode. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you're interested in scaling your short-term rental portfolio and networking with like-minded individuals, we host a short-term rental meetup once a month in downtown Orlando. Click our link below in the show notes to register. See you at the next one. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems.